Welcome to the Lion's Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by Lama Yeshe Jinpa was recorded during a regularly scheduled Sunday morning service. These uh, Sunday um, uh, services that I'm here, I'm talking on the Shambhala journey. The journey is to compassionate community, or the journey is compassionate community. And it's not just a destination, it's a little bit like, um, well I took maybe just one or two English courses in college, and we had to read the Canterbury Tales. So people are going on pilgrimage and it's boring. <laughs> so people are telling stories. Or maybe it's like the Decameron where people are fleeing the plague. So they're telling stories to keep their mind off the plague. But the point is, they, they bond during the journey. It's not just like uh, they get to know each other when they get there. They're sharing stories. Uh, along the way. We say in Buddhism uh, the Buddha's realization was uh, Pratitya Samudpada that he realized uh, uh, interdependent uh, relativity or interdependent arising, correct? I, I like to add a little bit. <laughs> it's kind of arrogant, but I call it uh, interdependent independence because uh, we also have to function as individuals that uh, make up our own minds about things and fundamentally Dharma uh, is based on a teaching-student relationship so there's no magical powers to transform someone we have to listen we have to put it into practice and we have to learn. So it takes a large amount of uh, dedication. So I've been calling uh, things independent, interdependent uh, relativity, something like that. <laughs> uh, because we, we have to recognize how we work together, and yet also we have to work separately. That's really difficult, right? So that's why we have a lot of support, we have a lot of teachings, we have this temple, how to work with others, and at the same time have our own sense of freedom. Sometimes I make it very simple, I think it's simple, and I say our strongest uh, needs and desires are for the combination of freedom and connection. Isn't that it? We want to be free and we want to be connected, right? <clears throat> Most of the time we struggle uh, through a process in psychology called like approach avoidance. We get closer, we feel kind of lonely, so we start moving towards people, or we say, I need to get closer, or I need to get a relationship. And then, at some point, 
we feel too close. <laughs> we, like we're hurt or they don't understand us or they push us away. And then we back up. And we feel, well, that's too much back up. Now we're lonely and suffering. So then, so samsara, the cycle, is we get close, that's painful. We get far away, that's painful. So that's why we say, please take the middle way. Learn uh, what the uh, right amount of connection, uh, the right amount of closeness and the right amount of distance is. That's the middle way, that's balance. So we feel uh, free, we don't feel constrained, we don't feel dominated, but at the same time we feel embraced and connected and loved and appreciated and we feel like we belong. We want to belong, but we don't want to be dominated. <clears throat> so that's why I call it interdependent interdependence. What do you think? Do you like that? <laughs> Sometimes in yogic practices, we emphasize no self a lot, or surrender, or getting along, or disappearing into absolute mind or something, and that is only half of it, right? We also have to sometimes assert ourselves, but how do we find the balance? That's, that's the Shambhala journey. <clears throat> in a simple way, it's learning how to have a good conversation with people by having a good conversation with ourselves. Because dialogue is independent interdependence. You have to keep the ball in play in dialogue, right? Conversations are not so much fun if someone's just talking at you. Do you agree? So in a good conversation among friends or even among enemies perhaps, uh, there, there's, there's a sense of energy exchange that feels uh, both balanced and alive. Feels free, but also connected, doesn't it? Good conversation, good talk, a good debate. <clears throat> so on a very basic level, we, ha- we start in our Dharma practice by uh, wanting to be part of a compassionate community, wanting to have fun, be alive, be free. We want to have enough food and shelter. We want others to have enough food and shelter and political freedom. And we also want to sometimes uh, be alone and find out who we are, right? You get to do that here because here we come together and then everyone goes back to their place, right? <clears throat> the first start, generally, however, on the journey, as we go within, we we examine ourselves. We uh, separate a little bit first. In a conversation, relationship, insight would start by saying, "Well, what's my part in this?" I always know things are in trouble when people are blaming others or just taking someone else's inventory. Uh, And 
recovery program, we would say, as long as you're blaming, you're still not in recovery, right? When we start taking responsibility and accountability, when we say, um, this, is, this is my work, this is what, uh, it's going to start with me, then we're recovering our sanity, correct? Absolutely the same in Dharma practice. We know other people are jerks. We know that, but we don't start there. We start with our own jerk. <laughs> and develop uh, a dialogue with ourselves. Many people come to uh, Buddha Dharma or yoga, meditative traditions, and they want to eliminate their thinking. They want to eliminate their selves, so to speak. But then you won't have a dialogue. If there's no one there, there's no one to dialogue with. So Dharma practice always starts with uh, a dialogue with ourselves. It doesn't start with eliminating uh, ourselves or eliminating somebody else either. It starts with, well, let's, I'm interested in what you have to say. And that starts with us. I'm interested in what I'm thinking about this. I'm interested in how I do this. So we actually, in Buddha Dharma, we learn to talk to ourselves in a creative way, and that's called meditation. <coughs> so, of course, uh, when I was beginning, my meditative uh, model uh, was uh, based upon like alcohol or drugs. You just The point was... I had some insight, like maybe these weren't sustainable or would get me in trouble, but still, for a long time, it was like, well, I just should be able to produce this state naturally, right? Without the chemical side effects or whatever. But it was based on blanking things out or rising above them. Basically, it was based on not having a dialogue. Oh, there's a question for me. Just hold it, just one second. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, uh, when uh, I met my teacher, my main teacher, I had many teachers, uh, and he finally said, well, you're doing it all wrong if you want to blank out the mind as you're trying to do. That's, that's why you would drink a bottle of whiskey, then you would blank out your mind. <laughs> said, that's not what we're doing. We're uh, having a dialogue with ourselves. We could call it investigating our mind. We could call it being with ourselves, you know, sitting with ourselves. But it's a dialogue. One of the main problems in the West um, is uh, the attempt not to have a dialogue with ourselves and others and to blank things out or just to make a false kind of oneness. <clears throat> Uh, and try to replicate some kind of uh, high state or do some kind of spiritual override. Actually, what that results in is having um, more... uh, gives more time to the inner editor, the inner critic. Because we have different kind of little voices inside 
right? We have, we have thought, we have thought streams. I'm okay calling them voices. <laughs> so we, just, we have thought streams, right? And uh, one of the thought streams is uh, an inner editor and inner critic. The inner editor, the inner critic. It's good to have an editor, you know, like a little bit like, is this the best way to say this? <clears throat> and maybe it's a, even good to have like a sense of an inner critic, like mm, maybe I could have done a little bit better on that, so a little bit more than an editor, like that wasn't really your best or something. However, when we try to blank out the mind, which means blanking out the editor, Blanking out the the critic, the and breaking blanking out maybe the investigator, because we have an inner investigator kind of voice or thought stream. What happens is actually we we amplify and uh, turn that that our mind into this echo chamber. So the critic and the investigator turn into the prosecutor, turn into the judge, turn into the grand inquisitor, turns into the torturer, turns into the executioner. So in America, there's, you know, so many times people go, well, I, I just have this negative self-talk, or I, I still don't like myself, or I hate myself, or... Um, I loathe myself. It was such a foreign idea to the Dalai Lama that it took him several years to kind of figure out, like, what is this self-hate that Westerners talk about? Because that isn't a very loud voice traditionally in pre-modern Tibetan culture. That's not to say people don't have... uh, anger, of course, or um, don't get pissed at people or themselves, but uh, it didn't rise to the fact that you have this ongoing um, uh, difficult tenant living in your head, the same way, uh, the psychological way we've developed in the West. Because the emphasis in real Buddhism is not blanking out the mind pushing it away. I mean, to blank something out, you have to like, push it away, right? You have to get rid of it. You have to say, go away, or flatten it, or kill it, or something. And since you can't shoot or kill the mind, um, actually you're just feeding it negative energy. So they, what is it, the term, if you feed the wolf, it gets bigger, like that? The uh, yogas of Buddhism are based on uh, liberating thoughts or transforming through non-aggression and through love and insight transforming our thought streams or our voices, not killing or eliminating. So it's doubly sad when people come to me and say, just tell me a way to get rid of my negative self-talk. What's wrong with that? 
<laughs> double aggression, right? I just want to get rid of this aggressive jerk that is torturing me. Can you figure out a way that... And I said, well, let's see. Have you tried drugs and alcohol or, I don't know, whatever else you do? And they go, yeah, it only works a little bit. <laughs> or maybe it's still working for me. And then I go, well, uh, come back in a year or two. <laughs> I'll talk. <laughs> go, to, go to a meeting. But uh, usually we take spiritual practices, very advanced ones like Buddha Dharma, and we use it for more ammunition. There, there have been wonderful books written about this attempt at spiritual override. Usually, uh, like Trung Paramshe is pointing to like developing too much like pride, right? And certainly pride and anger go together. But lots of times people are actually kind of not super arrogant or prideful to others, but they're really mean to themselves. Okay, so I don't know, pride isn't always the only problem. Lots of times it is this extreme um, self-rejection. So the Shambhala journey is learning how to actually be interested in uh, our editor, interested in our critic, the judge, even interested in the investigator, <clears throat> maybe even interested in the torturer. How many dialogue with your grand inquisitor or your particularly your um, torture rack of self-improvement person, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, well, how are you doing? Does, is this working for you? Tell me about your life. You know, having a dialogue with yourself is the start, the real start of Dharma practice. Okay, let's have questions. Do you still remember what yeah, I wanted to ask? Well, okay. I know you use the word dialogue, <clears throat> but I mean, that's why... Maybe you should. Maybe you should turn on like. Or I believe there is nothing outside my mind. Now, if that's a true statement, uh, who's who's making the dialogue with me? The dialogue indicates two. I would say you've got to say monologue, but you're using that word intentionally. I'm just waiting for... Because I'd like to find out who's going to answer my question. Thank Me. you for taking the idealist position. <laughs> no, that's not unusual. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Buddhism, we recognize that there are many different uh, kind of uh, practice and philosophic positions that one can take, actually. It's not a monotheistic, monocultural, mono-theory uh, practice. So um, saying everything is part of my own mind is... Actually, it's a, a Western philosophic position because Chittamantran would be saying everything is um, uh, related to mind, 
but it's not necessarily our personal mind. So that's important. So you're taking a Barclayan Western philosophic position like Schopenhauer, Barclay, but just, just to be... I'm a Phi Beta Kappa in philosophy for Middlebury, so I've got to use it once in a while, right? So, <clears throat> but uh, even if we were to say it was mind only, or even if we would say it was, uh, you know, uh, take a solipsistic position, like it's just our mind, still, uh, the mind, when we investigate it, uh, meaning our lived experience and our capacity to know, has many levels and many forms. You see, it's not just one thing. You know, it isn't just like, it would be like saying there's only one form of light, they're just flashlights. You know, uh, we know there, there's many forms of light, many colors of light. So uh, even if we take a very strong idealistic or solipsistic position, uh, we have to acknowledge that sometimes, uh, sometimes we are thinking, sometimes we are feeling, sometimes we are intending, sometimes we are watching. So uh, even then we would have to acknowledge that there are different functions of mind, correct? So even the, the ability to say it's all just my mind means that you have to take your own mind as an object, you see. There's you, and then, or there's my, and then there's mind. So already you have a dialogue because you've created my mind. Correct? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for walking into that one. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, even you know when we when we look in the mirror, uh, hopefully we are seeing our own face and we're recognizing it. So we're seeing, we are saying, I'm seeing my own face. But it is still a sense of a dialogue with the mirror, right? Because you're recognizing, oh, that's mirror and this is face. So there's an interchange, right? There's a knowing, like that's being, you have to know like that's a mirror reflection and this is my face. Otherwise you might want to walk through the mirror like, you know, Alice in Wonderland. Or you might have a problem like Narcissus, you know? Everyone likes to call people narcissistic because they're so into themselves. But the, as people know from the myth, uh, and hence the psychological personality disorder, the problem with Narcissus is he, he looked in the pond and he didn't recognize it was his face. See? You know, what a beautiful guy. And then he dove in. Because the narcissist doesn't really know themselves. They're not in love with themselves. They're in love with a projected image that they don't even recognize as themselves, you see. So we have a real dialogue if we're looking in a mirror and going, hey, um, looking good today, or oh, I forgot to shave, or whatever you do, eyeliner, whatever. So uh, we don't have to posit even, we don't even have to argue that there are other minds in order to say that uh, uh, even a one mind from a solipsistic, idealistic point of view, has different functions. So we still have a sense of dialogue. We still have the ability uh, uh, to know and to create uh, this uh, ability to reflect on ourselves. The problem is when the reflection uh, becomes uh, a mono-reflection and only, you know, we create we create the dialogue and then we try to get rid of half of it. You know, you say, I, 
I don't like my mind, so I want to kill my mind, or I want to stop that thinking, then we have a problem, right? So it, it makes it worse when we try to get rid of people, kill them, uh, and are aggressive toward them, just as it makes it worse when we're uh, not willing to dialogue with others. We just want to have them go away, kill them, or, or something like that. It's very simple. Of course, having a dialogue with oneself, sitting in meditation and uh, you know, noticing, recognizing, uh, listening to ourselves, talk to ourselves, sometimes is uncomfortable, isn't it? It's like going to couple therapy. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. I have a question about Sankapa, the Sankapa book. Well, I was having an argument about the Sankapa book, but I have a question about the argument I had about the Sankapa book. Um, movement. Is it empty or doesn't exist? Movement, movement, like you're rolling a pen or you're running in a race. Yeah. Is it empty? Does it, is it empty or is it just an agreement that doesn't exist? Uh, how do you mean an agreement? An agreement to see uh, movement. An agreement to see uh, movement, like athletic yeah. movement, so, like a football game. Uh, for those people, some people are maybe here for the first time, right? Anybody? Yeah. Good. We're we're, we're doing an intense uh, study program, you know, so really drilling into philosophic basis of our, our meditative tradition. So in Buddhism, we have to, um, we don't have to, but in our tradition, um, we don't just say we're right, so just do it. We, we want to come, you know, we, we actually want to have some reasoned and philosophic positions for how we meditate as we do or how we see as we do. So that's the discussion, that's the book, one of the books we're reading. So, one, one way of talking about, you know, imputed, you know, using the English word, it's like we have an agreement that we recognize that as movement. So that, that agreement is imputed. But things, we could say uh, things exist by agreement, very strong Prasangika Madhyamaka point of view. Things exist by uh, agreement only, or they exist as agreement only. They do not exist as separate entities like that, yeah. So hence they, they would be empty of separate existence. They exist as 
interdependent agreements. So it's part of the picture then? It's part of the conventional reality picture? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Are you just waving hi, Renee? Or is that a, it's nice. Very Hello. So to, uh, what you're talking about, the meditation and not well, meditation and not really looking in your mind, I can speak to experience with that. I was writing notes for a class, and they had a person come in to give a presentation. It was a lawyer, actually. And he did the mindfulness meditation stuff and mm. all that. But it was just like you said. He just taught people, oh, when you hear that voice in your head or when you're thinking, just stop thinking. Yeah. And it's like, I, I feel like that would just kind of drive you crazy. Like, if every time you were thinking, you just told yourself not to think. And, you know, in a sense, uh, teachings are always contextual and to the person in a way. So, you know, definitely uh, we, can, we might say, you know, stop that content for now. You know, so it's like... Uh, a positive way of stopping, but you can't really stop the mind from flowing. You know, so when we say stop it, um, we we have to clarify what that means. Yeah. yeah, that's a good observation. Hi, Patty. Thank you for this talk today, Lamala. It's so relevant. Um, I just was wanting to know like about the dialogue like you know when when you're the inquisitor <laughs> to yourself like what is the dialogue is that like some kind of conversation to have privately like in a darshan because it's unique to each person in a sense or is it just something like how do, wh- how do you approach that like I'm not really quite certain you know. mean the dialogue in our head mm-hmm yeah, I mean, we're all, we we I mean, we all have our own snowflake, you know, <laughs> we're all our own snowflake, but we have so very, you know, we we have our own individual journey, but it's also a shared journey. So, you know, on the planet, people's problems are still pretty much the same. They're just different varieties. You know, the the thing that you know, is tricky with us is we we think the initiator is always the real mind, the real me, like I'm asking you a question, and when we say you, we think the object isn't the initiator also, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, we always think that is outside the initiator, so I'm talking to you, right? So that, that is mine too, right? So the I and the you are both mine. You know, if we start talking about you... We think it's an outer object, but it's a mind too. So that's why, you know, like in uh, techniques in Gestalt psychology, for example, uh, you know, sometimes a therapist will have you change seats, right? You know, so you know, a lot of times people go, you know, my my blah blah really pisses me off, and they always made me do this, and they put me down, and da 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 da. And then sometimes they'll say, well, go sit in the other chair and be that person and then talk back, right? And then we, we get to see that actually uh, human beings are, uh, you know, are working both sides of the road. 
Yeah. It's interesting. On a uh, energetic level, um, uh, our energy doesn't always feel like a dialogue because, of course, when we say dialogue, that feels like speech and you know cognitive. Uh, so uh, we we have to also talk on it the felt sense, right? It's silly to talk about energy if you don't feel it. So that's why. Uh, I like to talk about uh, you know, a sense of rhythm in breath. So the felt sense of dialogue, the felt sense of uh, independent interdependence uh, is uh, rhythm. And the most obvious ones are uh, breath and heartbeat. Hope so. There's also brain rhythm, right? Yeah, we know, you know, it's like we, we can put sensors and um, and we can track you on a little sign graph get your theta and delta and gamma and alpha stuff right like in biofeedback so that's rhythmic too so uh, in our particular school uh, Tantriana style we're very much into the lived experience not just intellectual or not just uh, recognition mind, but what's it feel like? Well, it feels rhythmic. Things pulsate. Things, uh, uh, even though, uh, as Elizabeth was pointing out, movement is an agreement, um, we, we do notice that even though we can't find a mover by itself, or we can't find movement by itself, or we can't find a self by itself, you know, something's rocking and rolling, right, Elizabeth? Something. It's not nihilistic. Something's going on there, right? It's very holistic. So that's why in our tradition, uh, we do many meditations that uh, are based on uh, becoming uh, in harmony with the essential rhythms, not just uh, in our body, so-called, or just in our mind, so-called, but uh, on the earth in the universal sense. And the, the Tantra that goes into that in the most depth is the Kala Chakra Tantra. And the um, vision for a society that's based on dialogue or based on uh, a sense of uh, harmony, which is joined rhythm, right, is, is called Shambhala. So that's uh, why I love doing singing. We do a little singing before and... Um, Maestro Heffel brings us uh, songs, right? And why we have kirtan on Saturdays because uh, uh, singing and mantra and rhythm is uh, so uh, core to realization in our tradition. I like the fact that sometimes uh, uh, it's important, or maybe it's always important to sing other people's songs and to listen to other people's songs. So last Sunday we had uh, uh, Jesus Sanchez came with uh, his, his dance family and uh, incredible rhythmic experience, do you agree? <laughs> and those songs from Mesoamerica, from Azteca tradition. 
But we also have to sing songs from other people's traditions so we can have a real dialogue with them. That's important. If we just sing our own songs, we don't know, or you know, are just totally on our own rhythm. Uh, we don't know what someone else's rhythm is, because everyone is a little bit different rhythm. As Shambhala and Tantra, you know, those terms are to work with the people that everyone has a different rhythm. It's like opera. Any other opera lovers here? There you go. All right. Yeah, it's opera. So, because people are singing different, right? But it should sound good. So, uh, lots of times uh, uh, I like to sing in the morning. So, of course, I do my practice in the morning, like lots, lots of singing, meditation, study. But also, when, when I'm getting ready in the morning, I, you know, just kind of brushing my teeth or getting close. I'm always like singing. Well, what do you think I'm singing? Hmm? Opera. Yeah, I do. That's correct. <laughs> Badly. But sometimes, but sometimes show tunes. But uh, I'm also, you know, since um, I grew up going, you know, to Presbyterian church, I'm singing just hymns. So Sabrina goes, what? you know, actually in Presbyterian church, sometimes we'd even sing Lutheran hymns. You know, Martin Luther, like, a mighty fortress is your God, right? That's Martin Luther. But it's a great song, you know, and I'm not Lutheran, not Christian, but it's a great song, you know. So Sabrina's always going, like, why are you singing? Like, this is ridiculous, you know. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, like, so songs from childhood, right? You know, like, I was in the choir, and, you know, it just sounds really great. I don't, you know, it's like, I'm not attached to God or not God, right? That's, that's not useful, right? We, just, we don't go around saying, there's no God. We just go, we're doing a practice, if you want to have God or not. You know, we don't, we don't get hung up on that. So one time my teacher, like, he said, you're too Buddhist. <laughs> I go, why? And I go, and I go, so he says, how does God experience reality? And I go, you know, well, we don't talk about it. He says, how does God experience reality? We have to be able to answer that. If we're stuck on our own music, our own terminology, then um, we have a problem, right? We're not having a dialogue. I also sing the Middlebury alma mater song all the time, which is based on a Welsh hymn. I won't do it for you. I'll spare you. So maybe uh, Mike and I, we're, we've been talking about it for a while. Maybe, maybe we should put on a world music event, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll do more kirtan, but at least yeah. something from Sound of Music. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Patty already knows uh, my favorite things, don't you? Yeah. So, so that's really, you know, there's much, there's much division in the world, much division in this country. Um, generally, uh, if you can get people to eat together and sing together, you can begin to develop a real dialogue, right? It's interesting. 
So that's why we also like to offer snacks and a meal after service, and um, we like to sing. So. Be careful for what you ask for. <laughs> yeah. Um, Open a can of warm. What? Yeah. What? Uh, I I don't know I I don't know whether he's still alive. But a very well known um, uh, Kempo Kargu Kempo, uh, who uh, I saw a few times and sang with um, uh, took the, the songs of Milarepa who's one of Tibetan's most famous yogis how, you know he would sing his songs uh, he would sing his sermons you know the teachings so <clears throat> uh, I didn't you know this was back way back so I didn't know what to expect you know usually uh, Tibetan music sounds well, frankly, like bad Chinese music. <laughs> kind of like yak tea. Rancid yak tea is authentic tea. Rancid yak tea with some, you know, Chinese tea in it, you know, so it's, it's horrible. But anyway, uh, Campbell Seltrim, like, started singing... Um, Milarepa songs to cowboy songs like Home on the Range. (laughs) And we all were singing it. And you know, at first I was kind of like this is not cool. Uh, But actually he won me over. You know, I was just in my kind of like, no, it should always, you know, it's like, no, it's like that's cool. You know, that was totally cool. So he just took these kind of songs, there are other songs, and we just would take the poems and he put them to uh, music like that. It was cool. It was totally cool after all. <clears throat> so uh, Mike did Kirtan, there was like 40 people maybe? Yeah. So... <clears throat> I know there's a different crowd that likes, you know, to sing. And if someone's not a singer, that's, and they, you know, you can't get someone to sing if they're not a singer. You know, um, just like you can't get someone to public speak, right? But, the, but the interesting thing about like, actually, Tibetans, which they share with Japanese, um, and maybe other cultures, those are the two Asian cultures I know the best is. Um, if you're a guest at somebody's house, after a while, you're going to be asked to sing. <laughs> so, uh, we, we need at least one person from Lion's Roar to come to Kirtan every time because uh, Mike's talking about Kirtan setting up and uh, people want to know about like what we do here, right? So, uh, it'd be best if there's a singer, but even somebody says, would be willing to talk about you know, what we do at the temple here would be great. So you don't have to raise your hands or rush up to the front right now, but see me afterwards um, because I want to make a bridge with the singer group, right? Like here, they're the meditators. They're quiet. That, then they're the singers, right? 
it's not you, Michael. Don't worry. Mr. Co- You'll be in Mexico. You'll be fine. I've got my own problem. You do. <laughs> but uh, I do want to do uh, some kind of world music thing, which would be fantastic. Actually, I thought. We need to take uh, a short break. Jackie's falling over. Yeah, sorry. So we're going to take like a 10-minute break, and then we'll, we'll do a meditation. <coughs> and we'll say goodbye, and then we'll go eat something. Okay? All right. Thank you. It's a little stuffy in here. Maybe turn it down one more. Not me either. I mean, I don't hate it or anything. I like Delta Blues. <laughs> <laughs> I love Delta Blues. We'll see. There you go. <laughs> the Tuban guys, I like them too. Like Hunter Tour, the throat singer. Yeah. Yeah. They're cowboys. Yeah, they're cowboys. And when you see them, yeah. right. like I've seen them perform, yeah. it's just cowboy music. It's they cowboys. They costumes. Yeah, you know, they're cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> the Tibetans are the cowboys. Yeah, it's about Asia. So that makes sense yeah. that they. Yeah. Like the compos, especially. Yeah, yeah. they're cowboys. Yeah. Hello there. You're walking around. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for coming. This is good. You're kind of going down for the count of the way yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Glad you came. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, surprise. Yeah, surprise. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, things are doing better. I just my usually give me blood pressure because uh-huh. I usually run low, and it's mm-hmm. just like the whole it's like because you're always peeing out the woods after surgery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and basically my blood pressure keeps crashing. Oh, so I have doctors orders to eat salty food. Well, you're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Just sneak in. Yeah. It's good. Oh, good. Yeah, I feel better. I was pretty bad last week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Mm. Hi. Hello. Hi, Mr. Hello. Hi, I'm Robin. Hi, Robin. Nice to meet you. Are you two connected somehow? Mother daughter. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> That's neat. I've talked to taking the psychology of religion in that state. Ah, good. So we need to write papers with Dr. Dubois or someone uh, else? Dr. Strand. Dr. Strand, okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this is one of the places that was on the list that yeah. was welcoming to, you know, people coming over oh, good. and observing here. Um, it's really interesting. It's, uh, I got a little confused on the, I had taken uh, 
a Indian philosophy class. Mm. So Hinduism and Buddhism mm. was covered. Mm. That the discussion about the movement, mm. uh, like in conventional reality mm. and real reality, that it gets confusing to me. Sure. The, the yeah. concept of that I'm experiencing it, but it's not. It's not really real. Well, there's a certain kind of self. There's a certain kind of, of course, someone's talking and someone's listening right now. But usually we misunderstand what our identity is, and we have a misunderstanding according to Buddhism. You know, we, we, we add things that. Think about it. It takes me a little bit to work that out. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. See, then I'm referring to my mind. It's okay. You can refer yeah. to your mind. You can't, you know. Yeah. No, I thought it was interesting when you were talking about how people kind of do the meditation incorrectly. You can't quiet your inner voice. Mm-hmm. I had been told once that when you meditate, you need to start with intention. So, like, what's your intent? Is it to treat anxiety? So maybe you do want to quiet negative thoughts. And you should think of, you, you should talk about thoughts being like a stream. Mm-hmm. And you should think of it like a stream. And thoughts are like little um, like leaves landing in the water. And you just let them pass. Yeah. And just let them pass. Yeah. And let them pass. So that is different to me than having a dialogue. Because like a dialogue for me would be like, you see one little thought and then you pluck it out. And you're like, well, we're going to explore this now. But that was just kind of interesting Dialogue is, you know, it's actually quite advanced talk today. You know, we have people here that have done the practice and study for long enough. So, uh, you know, beginning is just to loosen things up a little bit so we're not so tight, you know, let, let things flow a little bit. So actually dialogue uh, is, is somewhat advanced. In other words, our thoughts and our mind are workable enough that we can... Uh, investigate and pay attention without aggression and without, you know, being stupid about it, you know. So, uh, in the West now, beginning meditation mostly has to be noticing and letting go, because most of the time people are just so incredibly uptight. Tightly wound. Yeah, so incredibly tightly wound, yes. Yeah. So, basically, the you know, from mindfulness classes and psychology and health, you know, we're just saying... You know, please let things flow a little bit and relax a little bit. You know, you know, you know, clouds or leaves. Um, but at some point, we we actually have to engage our thinking process. Uh, usually, first through content, and secondly through process itself. You know, there has to be some understanding. I never thought about meditation being like that. Yeah. I've only ever been taught that it's for yeah. letting go and. Like yeah. treating anxiety and depression, yeah. which is, I never right. thought about it as being like an active involved process. Yes. So that's very interesting. That's good. I'm glad you got that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't, uh, you can't really live life by just letting go of everything. Right. Right. You know, <laughs> like that won't work. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that won't work. So. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Write a good paper. Yeah. <laughs>
It's going good, don't you think? Did you write this down? Yeah, let's put this together. I like this talk today. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why? Why did you want to run out of the room? Yeah. Get Roberta for a second. Morning. <laughs> You're say, so, um, I'm, I'm using your mom's, it's your mom's teacup, right? Or your grandmother's? My grandmother's, yeah. I'm using it. Is that okay? Oh, I'm yes, careful. I'm careful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm careful. It's like China. Don't save it for the holidays. Okay. Just, I know. That's right. I, I, that's right. I think that's the right choice. Okay, Lama, I have a question. Okay. So, in order for some to be valid, to have valid cognition according to Dharma Kriti, it has to be uh, true. I'm just spacing out the word. It has to be intentional. And now I'm forgetting the third thing. Um, I lose it if I don't ask right at the time. Mm. Okay, so here's a question. So I'm looking at you right now, asking this question. This is direct perception, right? right? Or else it can be inferential to be valid perception. So this morning I'm posing off a road outside. And all of a sudden this... Um, hummingbird comes within like this much space. So it's not intentional. So is that not, but then I actually have this direct visual perception of the bird. So is part of it not, and it, oh, and the other thing is that it has to be new every time, he says. So is it partly not valid and partly valid? This is good. She's really getting into it. Helps me actually. Yeah. <laughs> but well, we're not. We're, we're all not looking at Dharma Kirti yet, so you are ahead of the game, which is good. Well, so I that, had to look because you I know. I know. I know. That's good. So that is the big issue. Like, you know, what um, for, you know, what is new or can we use, gene- you know, can we go on generic? Mm-hmm. You know, something's through generic, right? So. You know, that's still the way as Dharma Kirti is saying a very is he taking a very nominalist position or is he taking or do you allow some universals like generic like you know, is each tree you see like a new tree or are you seeing, you know, the same tree? And is it every moment of time is different, so it could potentially be a new tree every time because every the, moment it's different. The thing with mind, though, is mind is giving birth to mind. So we could say each moment distinct, but but not different always. So each moment's actually going to be somewhat the same as the moment preceding it. So it can't be totally, like, different. And then, with inferential... I'm washing my window this morning, and my my neighbor's car is out front. I know they're going to get in that car at 9 o'clock and go to the morning temple, because they do that every Sunday. Mm. So I'm inferring this, right? However, 
they get in at 850 this morning. So is that an incorrect cognition because it's not at the right time? That's a good question. I, I um, uh, you know, you make an inference that something has happened and then that inference has turned out to be false. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but a lot of times we're using inference to not prove, you know, statements of fact, but to prove how things come together through cause and effect. Yeah, I so, did, actually I read that. It said yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to be true. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Crazy. No, this is good. I love this stuff. So you're not going crazy. You're, you're actually reading. I'm thrilled. I'm having a good day today. So, you know, it means you're really getting in it, you know, because it's important. Because it comes down to our personal practice, too. It's good stuff. Okay, well, we'll have to continue this because you're on it. We have time for uh, uh, an 18 minute uh, meditation. <coughs> in the talk, we're talking a lot about uh, mind, but in our tradition, uh, we meditate with like both body and mind. That should be obvious, right? It isn't obvious to people all the time because they think that, okay, I'm just paying attention, uh, but uh, they're not in their bodies. So we actually, in our tradition, we, we we pay a lot of attention to our embodied awareness, which means like we're very conscious what our meditation posture is so that we take a posture that balances both our body and mind. Basically, we, we do a fundamental yogic posture that I don't do all the time anymore, Padmasana, right? <laughs> you know, like left, left foot on right thigh, right foot on left thigh. So right now I'm just doing like a quarter, half lotus, right? And then, of course, sitting in chair but the most important thing is uh, to be in line with gravity. So when we're meditating, uh, we, we actually should look like a ballerina, at least with our torso, right? Except we have a very relaxed tummy. <laughs> so, you know, when people are doing ballet this, like this, right? They're a little bit drawn up, uh, which allows the the chest open up so the, the lungs are able to fully expand and the belly is soft so that the diaphragm can fully you know, work, right? So we, we, we have to sit in line with our spine, in line with gravity. Also, and on an inner tantric level, if, if we're just kind of like this, then uh, 
the inner channels and the chakras uh, get squished up. So from Tantra point of view, the way we talk about the felt body is, is through uh, what we call winds and channels and, and drops. We have to open up our energy system and it really does make a difference uh, to try to you know, be in alignment with fundamental rhythms. So we are in alignment with gravity. That's, we, now, we now know they're gravity waves, right? Isn't that right? Didn't they find? They found gravity waves, right? So, they found waves. Yeah, they did, yeah. They yeah, good. They still don't know how it acts. Well, sure, of course, because it's empty. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you want to be, yeah. This has been a Lion's Roar Dharma Center recording. For more information, visit lionsroardharmacenter.org.